This is Hassan Akram, your host for Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast, brought to you by Matrix. What we are specialized in is autonomous vehicle safety and security. So you build a vehicle, your vehicle needs to be sufficiently safe. There is a standard for it in the industry. And that standard is, has given a lot of responsibility to the human driver, yeah, person who drives it. And obviously you can't do that in autonomous vehicles. So that gives a very big challenge in terms of safety and security to, to, um, to extend that thing to, in, into an autonomous vehicle. And we operate in that sphere. And you're welcome to ask questions around that or any other things you want to. Yeah. In terms of um, autonomous driving, do you see um, any limits to that? Um, wherein like people at the end of the day still have to drive the car? Um, following scenario if if there were a, like a crash and it was like inevitable that it was going to happen and the 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 automatically driving car would have to choose between person a or person b you know like the collision was going to happen um would you see that as a limit because like something that like that has to be programmed right for the car to then decide whether person a person b yeah um, and that would raise like ethical, moral issues. Absolutely. I love that question. This question has been uh, discussed in a, uh, this, this question has been discussed a great deal in our community. Um, here is the thing. We have to look at the statistics. You know, you have to look at the uh, big picture. How often um, do you think you have to, you, you, you as a human will have to take such decision? How probable is that? Now, I'll give you some statistics. In Germany, there are 3,500 people who are dying from car accidents every year. Globally, it's like 1.5 million. It turns out about 35% of all the fatalities are related to alcohol consumption. So tell you what, a software is not going to drunk drive. So statistically, we'll save a lot of lives if we have autonomous vehicle. I fully agree in such scenario, it's an ethical question. Now you have a choice to make. Do you save 30% lives? I'm not saying 30% is guaranteed, but we'll definitely save more lives. Maybe it'll be 50%, maybe it'll be 20. Or do we debate about a scenario that is not, absolutely not very probable? And what, and the second question is, how do you, what do, how do you, how do you do it when you're a human? Yeah, you also have to make a moral call, right? So that's how I, and I agree, that is a scenario that we cannot solve, but that is a scenario we also cannot solve if a human is driving. And to, uh, to, to put another scenario in perspective, there is one, one thing that, uh, so when you talk, we work with automated emergency brake, we had a project actually with automated emergency braking. So whenever you detect an obstacle in front, front of you, you, you hit the automated emergency brake, yeah? First you do um, give an give a audio, audio alert to the driver. Then in the second phase, when it's closer, this target to distance is closer. Um, you, what, you, what, you, what you do is you, you give a jerk to the, to, uh, to, to the driver. And if still, if he doesn't react, then you um, didn't do the automatic emergency. Now, the problem is if 
there is a, a you know really soft balloon or that kind of thing in front of you or if it's really a vehicle in front of you the car will not be able to detect so if you you can actually literally put a uh, put a big balloon in front of a car and and uh, trigger the automated emergency brake here is the thing you you guys drive right how how many times in your life did you face a balloon in front of you in the highway it's not probable but we talk about these things because these are the difficult cases to solve even if we do not solve all these i would bet that we'll save lives 3500 in germany per year well we can reduce it to probably 1500 or I, I don't know i don't know the number we'll definitely be reducing it that is like i mean human errors are more than computer when computer fails fatality happens and it will fail there is no way to uh, develop a 100 percent safe system that's just not uh, viable but still the big numbers that'll win all right um, so what would be the, like the perfect world for you in terms of the uh, autonomous driving? Would you like every car to be autonomous in the future so there's no people driving? Or would you like some kind of a, like symbiosis with some people driving and there's like cars mixed in that? What's, what's, what's your view on that? Um, it's, a, it's a great question again. So what would be the best scenario is if, if I understand your question right, what would be the best scenario? If everything is automated or if we have a mix? Uh, before we go to the best scenario, let's think about what's possible, you know, where we stand today. So today, uh, in no to, my, to the best of my knowledge, in no countries, fully autonomous is allowed. You, even if you have it in your, in your car, it's disabled. So the reason is we don't have enough test data. We're, te you know, we, we're collecting a lot of test data. And in Bayern, we're building an autonomous lane. So that would help. That will be the first generation. So it will come in several generations. So if you have a lane that is only for autonomous, that is, that is something today's technology can deal with. And this is what we'll see in the first generation. And slowly, you know, most of the cars got cruise control and distance control and that kind of thing. So it will be partial. So there are five levels of autonomous vehicles, as you know, the level zero, one is you know, fully human controlled level two and level three is what we already have. You know, you have those cru cruise control or lane keeping stuff. Level four is fully autonomous, but the driver is also, is also in charge when he wants to. It's either or. And level five is no driver. So we aim for level five. There are level five vehicles out there in operation. For example, in, was it in Detroit? I'm not really sure if it's in D Detroit. There is a, they made those pods, AV pods, and they, um, they take seniors from point, point A to point B. So in a limited scenario, we already have a level five. So this is kind of like, like I said, the first generation. In the second generation, we'll probably also see a mix. Uh, if what will be ideal if a mix or full autonomous, this is a question that I think I won't be able to answer. We'll have to see that. However, technically speaking, technically speaking, if we look at aviation industry, mix is always that the problem because you don't know 
how when it's a mix, you know, human brains are not predictable. Software is predictable. And uh, this is where most of the fatality happened in the aviation industry. The driver was not sure if it's in autopilot mode or he has to do something. So um, technically speaking from experiences, a mix is a bad idea. But what will be actually happening in future, we'll have to wait and see. Well, we've been talking for a while now about the concept of the self-driving car, the moral questions and, and the mixed questions. I'm, I'm interested from a more practical aspect. Um, if we take into consideration things that have previously happened with technological advances, uh, especially in regard to cost to the consumer. So as a person who drives his own car, um, how would the potential of, of a self-driving car impact things like insurance costs? Because one could imagine that an insurance company at some point in the future, when we get to stage five, as you described it, wouldn't even potentially allow someone to operate a car on his or her own, especially if we can reduce fatalities at such level, because we're looking at a disparity between the ability of a person to get drunk and have an accident versus a machine perfectly executing something like that. So do you think that one should draw a line or is it gonna be a hard level flip at some point? Are we gonna have to have this discussion where we say maybe humans shouldn't drive at all anymore? It's a very good question. Um, before we talk about the cost, it's the question of liability. Today, it's the industry works like this. A lot of, you can put a lot of liability on the driver. Yeah, so because the driver is driving. So when the driver is not driving, who is liable for what? Is it the OEMs, the manufacturer of the car, or is it a, is it a company like Uber or Waymo who are operating the AV um, autonomous vehicle fleets? Or is it the tier one supplier who supplied the braking system? Or is it a tier two company like us who built the software for the braking system? Who's liable? That question is not answered till today. So, um, if the insurance companies has to take the liability, I think this is this will will be interesting to see how that develops. It will, if it will reduce cost or if it will not reduce cost. I tend to say that since you can put the liability on the driver, today insurance companies or anybody would be would be more interested on the uh, on on that. And it's also a question if the if the OEMs, the manufacturers or the operators will have to take that much of a liability. Will AV actually happen in, in reality? I, I don't know. This is what we have to see. Because it's unrealistic to give all the liabilities to the vehicle manufacturer. It's unrealistic to give all the liability to a tier one supplier. And who will take the liability? I mean, so far, there are millions of cars, there are millions of people where you can distribute the liability in a way that was what didn't harm the industry in, in, in a sense. Well, it was not good for the individuals and which made the individuals more responsible probably. Now we don't know. Who do you sue? When, when something happens, who do you sue? You can't sue the driver because he's not driving. Who do you sue is the question. Good question, yeah. <laughs> um, you talked earlier a bit about uh, the mix between uh, autonomous cars and, and certain people drivers could be a problem. How do you see that transition going? Because I think that, well, is it a big part of autonomous cars is the cars being connected to each other. Um, so how do you see that transition? 
going where I've uh, me and Jan's car talking to each other, but then uh, someone else just driving between it. Like, how do you do you see that being a a, a big problem? Should should it be uh, should the some roads be only available to autonomous cars? Where because it, it very good question. So we have we'll see in a you know we're we're seeing in right now three biggest disruptions in automotive industry. One is electrification of cars, so this will change the industry. The second is what you mentioned, connected vehicles, and the third one we all are talking about autonomous vehicle. These three things will change the industry once and for all. Now, all these three things will, will, are interconnected. So what you mentioned is connected, a connected vehicle. Now, we work depending too much on, the, there, are, there are several sensors that we have when, when it comes to a car. We, you have a radar, you have cameras, and uh, you have a lighter, an array of radars that, that detects. So we, we're, and we also have ultrasounds and everything, but these are the major, major ones when you're driving. So um, the problem is, we need other kinds of um, information for detecting the position of the actual car. Yeah, so the challenge is always to map the position of the car. We have GPS, but GPS is not accurate, as you know. Uh, we, have, we, we have to map the position of the car relative to the, the vehicle next to, next to you. And the scenario you just mentioned, it's all about positioning. So the good news is there is this technology called GNSS. So that technology is about extremely accurate positioning. There is this American company called Trimble, and they have a lot of stations where they simply detect um, GPS from all the satellites, and they have been collecting the data for, for years, decades. And what they do is they calculate, they compute the relative error because they know the exact position of those, uh, those stations, and they, they know what the GPS is telling me, there is a delta. They compute that. And from that, comp from that computation, they know, okay, if, the, if this, this data for this vehicle is telling me this, there is a delta there. They know the error. So this is how they can compute very accurate geographic information. And that is going to help in such scenario. Question is always the cost because this is a service that uh, requires a lot of infrastructure, right? So they're trying to come to the auto uh, automotive market, but it's an automotive market is a very cost-sensitive market. Yeah, it's really about the cost. This is one solution. The other solution there is is the, like we have long-range, you know, more sophisticated radar, radars, and. Uh, We'll, we'll see how the technology develops. But today, I mean, just to, just to answer your question, with, to, with today's technology, as you've seen some fatalities during the testing and everything, this is an, this is an area where we need more work. We need more, more work to be done. Yeah. Are you, or do you know, um, is, uh, how many people are actually, or is there data as to how many people are actually willing to let themselves be driven by like an, like an automatic driving car? And I'm asking because I'm thinking of two groups of people. 
Um, one being those who just do not have the financial means to buy like an electric car. And I understand that like this industry is still in development, but you know, not everyone can afford a Tesla. And I see that there's like Twizzies and stuff, which are obviously more affordable, but then even like all these battery issues I've heard that, or the fact that it's just pretty expensive. So those being the first group of people and the second group of people just being like passionate drivers, you know, like myself, I just love like driving a car where I can hear the engine, you know, and there's just like emotion, there's just like emotional sense to it. Um, so yeah, so my, I guess my question is, is there any data as to how many people are actually saying, yes, like I'm fully for it or conversely, no, I'm like fully against it. Mm -hmm. Uh, great question. There is uh, no data to the, to the best of my knowledge that I know. However, we have uh, we have seen companies like Uber taking off. That means it brings convenience, right? It brings you time. Time is the in our time, time is the most valuable asset. Yeah. If you if you if you if if you're coming up with a business idea and you if you can give people time, that's it. Your business, you you will your business will win. Yeah, I will I will be your investor. Yeah, if you have such 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 uh, such idea. So AV is buying us time. This is where uh, that will win. It's not, obviously a passionate driver as yourself who wants to enjoy uh, driving. That's a different uh, different cases. However, in your in your day to day life, we we live in a time that we we are actually outpaced with with the speed. Yeah, with the speed that we have, the, the way society is moving. So all we care for is saving time. And that, that, that's where it's, it's the, the, the business case will, will definitely win. Okay, so you're saying that if we have um, autonomous driving vehicles, it's ultimately going to save us time? Yes. Okay. It's, it's going to save us time. It's going to bring much more convenience. Uh, you know, you'll be able to, um, I mean, this will be your, um, this will probably be your living room or, or your mobile office. Yeah, where, where you'll be able to work, communicate, do conferencing. You know, there, uh, I, I've seen a, a General Motors took a, a patent for a, a conferencing system in an autonomous vehicle. Yeah, so those will, are the futures that we are looking at. Yeah. Okay. Um, if we are getting to the stage five of autonomous driving, um, there is probably a chance of getting hacked. So the system or mm -hmm. the car. So is there a way that you can prevent this completely or fully that a car cannot be hacked? Or is there always a chance that it can be hacked? I love this question. This is I mean, really uh, getting into the topic. That's really my passion. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And if you look at today's vehicle architecture, I mean, it's so easy to hack into this car. Pretty much anybody can do it, but it's not happening. Any idea why it's not happening? Why aren't people doing it? It's not that human being, are, you know, we know that man, people will do it if it's possible. Why aren't they doing it? What do you think? Payoff is one thing. And second thing is there are other targets which are much easier and they're getting more money, you know, like ransomware and everything. So the, the entire, um, you know, the internet criminal industry, if you may call it, is focusing totally on something different. Here's what's going to happen. Those things will be more and more and more and more difficult to hack into. And then we'll look for easier targets. And it's just a question of time this will happen to, the, to our cars. Now, is there any way to prevent it? The question is yes and no. There is, it is possible, I mean, 100% prevention. So what we do when we think about such things is we 
draw an attack tree. An attack tree is you think of an, about an attack from an attacker's perspective, and then you think of how can you uh, access that. Imagine that you want to uh, somebody want to steal the 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 key of your car, yeah? So what are the possible ways? One is even that they physically physically steal it from you. That's that's there. Now, and then we assign probabilities. You know, how probable are they? And cost. What is the cost of an attack? If the asset that you're trying to protect, in this case, it's your vehicle. If the asset is more expensive than your then the cost of the attack, only then it's interesting. If it's the other way around, if the asset has lower cost than the cost of your attack, nobody will, in a sane mind, do it. I'm not saying nobody will do it. You might, you might have some emotional reason to do it, but you know, there is no economic incentive to do that. Yeah, so what we typically, if an OEM comes to us and uh, tells us to do this kind of analysis, what we do is we consider Moore's law because Technology will be cheaper and more faster with time. Moore's law, in 18 months, everything will be doubled and cheaper. And we think about 20 years lifespan of a car. We compute what will be the, um, possibly the, the, uh, the, the latest technology in 20 years. And with that computation power, what will be the cost of cracking this car? And if that cost is higher than the uh, cost of the vehicle, we're safe. This is how we solve this problem because it's unrealistic to uh, think that you'll be protected. I mean, if quantum computing comes, everything will be, you know, apocalypse anyway. Everything, nothing will work anymore. But that's a, that's a whole different discussion for, for another thing. The point I'm trying to make is not, there's no way or it's not feasible to protect to, uh, to, uh, to up to 100%. Now, before you were talking about trends and in regards to your company and your market share, how do you deal with change? How do I deal with change? This is really good question. I love that. Change management is becoming, I mean, in, at, uh, one of my friends is, uh, is thinking of uh, doing an MBA in, in, at a technical university at Minchin and it's on, on change management. So change management is difficult because people are resistant to change, including myself. You know, in, any change comes, first, we're all reluctant. So, um, and I believe that what will make you outstanding in our time is if you can, if you can deal with changes. So whenever um, there is a new technology coming yeah, in our industry, so I, I will try, try, I give you the answer in two folds. First, how do you deal with the ch changes in the industry? That is actually, whenever a new change comes, that is actually a kind, kind of like a market that we want to, and that's an opportunity for us. Yeah, we will prepare for it. We will start podcasting about it. We'll be educating the market. We'll be uh, ready to for for the uh, for the industry to come to us and help them, and we'll sell our service in that. This is this is what this is kind of like a opportunity for us. On the other hand, uh, the changes that we have internally because of the uh, market change, this is this is difficult. You know, you have to you have to be ready. You have to uh, create a company culture. That is um, that doesn't allow people to be to to have a routine for too long. You have to keep interrupting. You have to have like we call it positive disruption. Yeah, you have to disrupt the current system because the only way you can get better is if you disrupt 
and implement something better. And it's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. Can you also answer the question on the, on the, the is it tier five, where it's fully autonomous, the API, but more uh, in the distribution support? Um, what you see right now with cars is that uh, a lot of people uh, put aftermarket parts on their cars and tune their cars and do all sorts of stuff to it. How do you see that being a, uh, being a problem, or do you see that being a problem when it comes to uh, parts of self-driving cars? Do you, if, if people start to alter the, 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 the stuff themselves, if I, I see like, if, for example, BMW releases a car, they are in a way responsible or liable for, for what that car does. But if you start to change stuff yourself, which is a big part of the car industry, yeah, yeah. That is a big problem. That is a big problem. That is a legal problem. That is a technical problem. Uh, what's happening today is uh, when, like, if you buy a Tesla, yeah, your autonomous feature is not enabled. But there is a way to hack it. And people will figure it out. Yeah. Who takes the liability is the question. Yeah. So that is a big problem, and this problem will occur in um, time and time again when it comes to autonomous uh, vehicle, the car tuning. The automotive industry, they have taken a lot of measures to prevent it from um, just tunings and, and stuff to happen. And um, right now, we have a layered architecture. The layered architecture is we have the inner layer where you have the most safety critical components. And this is usually usually not replaceable by a tuner. This is what the technology, it's a requirement. We have to build our software like that. I'm not saying it's invincible. You cannot break it. Yeah, it is, uh, you, can, you can break it, but you, you have to keep a lot of protection layer. Your infotainment system and, um, are you familiar with the OBD2, the diagnostic port of the car where you can actually, um, plug in and that will be even open for cell phones yeah so this will um this will actually facilitate a lot of innovation so when your obd2 is open for everyone this is this will like it's like the apple big bang right you know if, if you let everyone participate in the party it will uh it will work like that but that will also bring a lot of challenges like the ones you mentioned yeah because in end of the day, it's the question, especially in automotive industry, it's the question of liability. We have seen in the automotive industry how much uh, you know you might have to pay because of these liability uh, issues. So that is a sensitive, um, sensitive. This is this might even uh, prevent innovation to take place in a faster pace because this is a this is a liability issue. Yes. So. This is something which, which hits home for me, actually, because I come from a semi-agricultural forestry background, and my family is actually one of the very few families these days who drive off-road, all-wheel all drive cars, not because they look nice and they have a lot of space for the kids in the back, but because we actually have situations where we need a car that can go off-road, and we do have instances where we need to do something like take a tree apart and, and be able to throw that all in the back now. My question would be is, is there even, or, or if at all, what is the, is the industry looking at doing with autonomous driving in a more off-road setting, right? Because 
as long as you have things like regulated lanes for cars where they have guided systems and communicate with each other, that's all fine. But the moment you go off the road, what happens with autonomous driving then? Uh, you're asking really the right question. This is uh, one of the challenges. So one of our clients has sent us uh, the pictures of German roads where there is no uh, marker for the lanes. Yeah. It is so difficult to solve that. And I don't really, to the best of my knowledge, I don't really know anyone who's working on the off-road vehicle really. In agriculture industry, there are some companies, there are some companies in agriculture industry where, where, where they're doing is, uh, they're building kind of like ag ag agricultural robots. And they're, they're relatively easier to program because you have uh, the, the, the territory is, is fixed. So if you have a fixed territory, then it's possible. But you know, one car that will be able to do everything today, I'm, I'm not aware of that. That's especially off-road. Wow. I mean, yeah, maybe, um, maybe with geographic information system, you can do a little bit of autonomous, autonomy in it. But fully autonomous will be challenging. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah. I'm interested in your opinion on Tesla. Yeah. As in, um, if you see a future for Tesla where um, other car brands enter that market as well of autonomous driving, yeah. and perhaps which car brand you see mm -hmm. most potentially in. Okay. It's a fantastic question. I definitely see uh, potential in Tesla, although other cars will also um, come in, in the market with the same um, level of autonomous, autonomousness uh, and uh, electrification and all those. The reason is it's branding. I'm fascinated by within a search short span of time, the branding Tesla was able to establish. It is comparable to a big brands. Yeah, I mean, that is just amazing how Elon Musk did the branding of Tesla. It's not because of the technology. It's not because it's, um, it's, it's new. Whenever I talk to autonomous vehicle to people, they automatically start talking about Tesla. Although, you know, um, our German car manufacturers had this autonomous vehicle program. Elec there were electric cars were, were out there. If I talk about, start talking about electric cars, they talk about Tesla. So this branding is just amazing. And because of this branding, end of the day, the brand is the one that will capture the market. They did a great, great branding. And I think that that's why they'll win. You, have you ever thought about what you're doing to your customers right now, like to Porsche, if it comes to, to the stage five? Because why would I still need to own a car if I can literally just order an Uber and go anywhere? That is the hope. Um, there is this um, technology visionary author, Salim Smile. He wrote a book, uh, Exponential Organization, and he talks about the way he sees the world. Uh, because of autonomous industry, it's going to disrupt not only the you know, vehicle industry, it's also going to disrupt the lifestyle. Real estate price may go down because of this, because distance won't matter. Yeah. The traffic that we have today will have much better traffic because everyone will not want a car. So uh, this will also help the environment. So this is one theory. I don't know if theory, theory will hold. We'll only, only see. Uh, another theory would be um, that you will 
see more 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 and more cars even though even though there there will be uh, autonomous vehicle if autonomous vehicle will really reduce the traffic and reduce the number of car and people not own any car this is a theory i'm not really um i wouldn't bet too much on that theory because because of the following like you said yeah you lo love driving a car yeah we still care for the brand we still care for the brand we still care for an ownership what could happen is the definition of luxury might change you know within our lifetime and sooner than we think now it's cool it's 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 cool and, and it's kind of like a luxury to have a high uh, end car but cars will not be luxury anymore what the new luxury that you'll have in your in your in your time will be the private jets the private jets will be commoditized because of uh, because of um, you know drone technology and everything the cost of a private jet may come down as close to close to a close to a vehicle that we that we pay today so everybody everybody's new luxury instead of paying 70 80000 for a really high end car you will put the 70 80000 on a private jet so that might reduce that is something that might affect this you know that might val validate this theory of slim smile that you know it will reduce the cars in the in the in the market thank you for listening it was really fun. In this podcast show, we bring in the industry leaders and experts in the automotive domain to share their experiences along their journey. The mission of our podcast is to start a dialogue that will allow us to understand the development of automotive industry and where the automotive industry is going. You can ask questions to our guests directly. Just send us an email to podcast at matrix.de. We'll schedule a call with you during the recording and you'll be part of our show. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any new episodes. Please share this video to help others get enlightened as well and that would mean a great deal to us. See you in the next episode.